we are in the book of First John. We're actually going to, this is going to be our last time this year in First John. Then we're going to talk about Christmas stuff and then New Year's stuff. And then we're going to get back to First John in 2014, which is just around the corner. Um, so uh, with that in mind, uh, we're going to kind of end our, our section today and take a pause for a little bit. But if you've been with us, the book of First John, John is the youngest of the disciples. It's one of the last books that's written to the church. Uh, John writes to a group of people. There had become a problem within the church, within the, 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 the workings there, and that there was a group that was teaching Gnosticism. They, they basically taught that there were two worlds, the spiritual world and the earthly world, and those two worlds are never connected. So, in the, so the, the mindset of people was either to live in a spiritual world and deny everything in the earthly world, or to say, since they're not connected, I can live in both worlds, and it doesn't matter what I do in either world. So I could say that I'm spiritual, but I could live worldly, and, I could, and, and consequently, I could be spiritual and worldly at the same time. It, it didn't matter. And John writes this book kind of, often you see him addressing this issue in that he says, no, these two worlds are connected. And if you say that you love God, then you better love your brother. So if you're going to say that I, I have this heavenly idea of loving God, then you had better love other people as well. They're connected. And so he spends a lot of time in this book connecting these two worlds. You're going to see that this morning. Um, and he talks about the first thing he starts the book out is about a relationship, that you need to make sure you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he shifts into the idea of fellowship and how we make sure that we have fellowship. And we talked last week about the idea of maturity. He talks about the idea that as you have fellowship, you mature, you grow in the Christian life. And you start out as an infant, and then, 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 then you move into that child phase, and then you move into that young person phase where you start to, to, to get some victory and think for yourselves and do things on your own. And then ultimately, you have that father phase where you're teaching other people, and, and God's using you to impact others. Now, this morning, he's gonna kinda, we're going to kind of springboard off of that, and he's going to talk about how this maturity is developed. He's going to talk about how this plays out in your life as a believer. How do you and I grow and mature in relationship to sin and Satan and the world and all this stuff? So, uh, familiar verses, abused verses. A lot of people like to take these verses and make them say all kinds of crazy stuff, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to try to stay as true as we can to the text and the Word. So, First uh, John chapter 2, and here's the passage. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, he's bringing those two worlds together. Uh, for everything that is in the world, the cravings of sinful men, um, the King James says the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, um, King James says pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So John lays out some things, and so before we... Uh, get too far into all of it let's understand a couple of things first of all what the world all right now this gets a little confusing because if you think about it for a minute god loves the world but yeah, here we're told not to love the world so if we love god aren't we supposed to you, you see the the problem okay when john talks about the world there's three ideas that are often used in the bible when it talks about world the first idea is the world the cosmos the big huge everything all right the second idea is the world of humanity. 
So in John 3, when Jesus, when John sa- when Jesus says, God so loved the world, he's talking about humanity. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In that concept, he's talking about humanity. And here, when he says, don't love the world, he's not talking about humanity. He's not talking about the cosmos. He's not saying don't enjoy creation. He's not saying don't love people. He's already told us to love people. What he's saying here is the world system, the way the world thinks, the way the world's geared, the way the world des- is, des- is designed, because if you'll think about it for a minute, who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. If you haven't figured it out yet, there is a, and, and don't go nuts with this, but there is a satanic influence in the world in that God created it in a perfect world. Satan marred it. And one of, the, one of the ways that it got marred was it became about me, not about God. And so if you haven't figured it out yet, in this world, it's all about me. When a politician goes to Washington, they can tell you all they want that yeah, I, I'm here to represent my constituents. No, it's not. It's about you. That's the way the world is. Um, in business, it ends up being about my company. It ends up being about me. It, the whole world is geared around self. Everything's about us is, is, is the concept within the world. And what he's saying is, John's saying, look, be careful about loving the world. Be careful about embracing, making that your mindset as a Christian. Again, and go back to first century, what was happening? I can love God. And I can love the world. And John says, no, no, no. These two, these two are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Because this system that is geared is, is skewed. It's wrong. And then he goes on to explain it. He says, for everything that's in the world. Now he's going to define for you what that world looks like and what it is about that world that's wrong. And that's the first thing he says. The cravings of sinful man. King James says, lust of the flesh. Here's the idea. <clears throat> Take something that is natural and good. Satan does one of two things. Satan takes it to this extreme or to this extreme. Example, we're going to have potluck this morning. Is eating good or bad? It's a good, healthy, natural thing. But if we take it to this extreme, way over here, it becomes what? Gluttony. If I take it to this extreme over here, it becomes bulimia. See, hey, Satan takes that which is natural and gets us all the way out to the stream. Why? Because often here's what you'll find with God. God is balanced. And God says, let's take that natural desire. You, 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 can, find it, you can find it in anything. Exercise should be normal for us. No, it's not. Some of you are over on the extreme of no exercise. Um, okay, it should be normal. And then some people take it way to this extreme. Um, you can take anything. Work. Um, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. It's a Bible principle. Okay? You can take it to this extreme where I'm not going to work. Or you can take it to this extreme where you work 24-7. A- a- everything in life, Satan, and so when he talks about the lust of the flesh, as he defines it here, the cravings of sinful man, understand that Satan's goal in your life is to get you to those extremes. That, that, that's what he's pushing for in all of us. 
So in, in any given thing, it's to push out, out to those extremes. And he says, that's the world. That's the world system, if you'll think about it for a minute. And I think this is a very important question for everyone to ask. How much is enough? How much money is enough? How much retirement savings is enough? How much property is enough? How much car is enough? How much education is enough? In other words, it's a a very, very important question, but it's a question that, you know what the answer in our society is? There's never enough. You can't have too many accessories on your car. Have you ever had a salesman go, look, you know what? That's kind of a silly thing. You don't really need that. You know, okay, I, I'm, I might as well step on my toes too. How many tools are enough? Is this making sense? See, because, again, Satan pushes us. Oh, I don't even. See, you, no one should sit near my wife. I'm going to put you in a booth. But I mean, really, honestly, in life, right? Isn't it a good question that we need to ask as believers, but we don't ask? You know, okay, well, shoot. I mean, I can run all day with this. How many clothes are enough? How many shoes are enough? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Now, see, go ahead. You shoot. I'll shoot back, baby. We got this one. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, is this making sense? Okay. Because really, we, we live in a world of excesses. We live in a world of extremes. And John says, one of the things he says, look, if you're not careful, you will get caught up in that. And it is so easy for us to do. I mean, every time, every time the TV is on, we're bombarded with, we don't have enough. We need more. Every time you drive and pass a billboard, every time you hear an ad on a radio... We, every time you pick up a magazine, we're bombarded with the idea of we need more. We should desire more. That's our culture. And John says, look, be careful because if you're not careful, if you want to grow in maturity in the Christian life, you've got to be really careful of this because you'll get caught up in that and that will become your focus and you'll, be, you'll push away from Christian growth. It'll be all about uh, more, 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 or less, 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 depending on what you're in the spectrum you're in. And then he goes on, he takes the next step. He says, the lust of the eyes. The idea is is that, again, what you focus on determines where you go. Okay? Think about it for a minute. You ever been driving down the road and you decide to start looking at crops? Whether or not their rows are straight or how it's coming up and what happens? You You start weaving on the road. You get pulled over because you're drunk driving, and you're not drunk driving. You're looking at crops. Um, I, I mean, the, the issue is what happened. Your focus is off of the road. It's on something else. And before you know it, it starts affecting your direction and the same thing. You've got to take a good hard look at where, where you're looking at, what you're focused on. And John says, look, the lust of the eyes, if you're not careful, the eye thing will, will capture your soul. Um, let me time out. Everybody who's following me right now, just take a breather. Those of you who've been students of the Scripture for a while, let me give you something to think about. 
I think these three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, parallel, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And I think you can link, link the two, I think you can link them up in parallels, okay? Um, because I, this is a predominant theme. We're going to see this a minute in Genesis. Um, okay, back on track. He talks about be careful of the lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, those two things are about us. But now he shifts, and he talks about a third thing, a third way that's going to hinder our growth too. And he look at what he says. He says, the boasting of what he has and does. King James says pride of life. Now he's focused on how he appears to others. And if you're not careful, that's what will happen in your life. It will become about those kinds of things. It will become of, of one of those lusts of the flesh, living to the extremes in your life. Lust of the eyes, starting to focus on the wrong thing. Pride of life, starting to worry about what everybody else thinks and how everybody else, how you appear to everybody else and da 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 And if you're not careful, that will snowball on you. And John says, when you get trapped in those kinds of things, it's going to hurt your maturity. It's going to hurt your growth. Because, and he tells you, these things are not from the Father but from the world. This is the way Satan works. Now, you've got to understand this because it has never changed. From the beginning of time, this has never changed. John identifies all the way back into Genesis chapter 3 what happened in Genesis chapter 3. You know the story, Adam and Eve and sin in the garden, okay? But with these three things in mind, let's go back to the story. Um, Genesis 3. Um, jump, Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? Now this is a problem. Because God said don't eat of it. That's what God had told Adam and Eve. But notice what it says. The woman said we may eat of the tree of the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. This, this is one of the first things. She added to the word of God, and it got her in trouble. Okay? It got her in trouble because God never said don't touch it. This is why it's so important to know the word of God and what God says. God said don't eat of it, but she said don't eat of it. And then she added to it, uh, and we're not supposed to touch it. And this set, a, set them up for the fall, by the way, because notice what happens next. It says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that was true. You're going to know something. If you eat of it, you're going to know something you don't know now. You're going to know sin. You don't know anything about sin yet. But if you can eat of it. Now, that wasn't how he painted it. He wanted to paint it good. And notice what it says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, Notice what the text says. She saw, I don't know if it was an apple. I know it wasn't an ornament, okay? But she saw that it was good for food. So that means that Satan had to take it and eat of it in front of her. And it was some kind of food that, that was okay as food. You know, there's some things that, are, I mean, if I, if I took a bite out of this, you would go, well, maybe ornaments are good. But right now, you know ornaments, and you're going, no one would eat an ornament. That's not good for food. 
If it was a meatball covered in barbecue sauce, it's a different ballgame. But so at some point, Satan takes this and eats of it. And lust of the flesh, a desire for food, which is a normal, healthy desire, she sees that it's good for food. And then notice what's next. What does it say? Pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. And desirous to make one wise. Is that how the NIV says it? Desirable for gaining wisdom. Pride of life. You see that? John, thousands of years later, is going to go back to this and go, let me show you how Satan works. This is how Satan worked on the very first human and the very first time that sin entered into the picture. He used this, this thing, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He, he, he used this to appeal to her to get her and Adam to sin. And in thousands and thousands of years, Satan has never changed his method. He's changed the way he does it, but the method, or, or the, 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 the applications of it, but the method is still the same. Any temptation, any testing, anything you and I go through, you know what? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those are the three areas Satan's going to try to attack us in. And then, you know the story, and it says, and she took and ate, so she eats of it, and everybody's going, see, if Eve would have never done that, Eve's the reason for all of it. Read your Bible. She eats, and then she gives to her husband, which means what? He was there. He was right there beside her, and he kept his mouth shut. And that was the problem. You know, um, by the way, Bill Cosby has a great deal on women and men and husbands and wives. If you get to see it, you've got to see it, and it's awesome. But anyway, uh, my favorite thing, your wife is not your friend. He does. He has a great thing on your wife is not your friend. Um, and I used to say, well, no, my wife is my friend. No, your wife is not your friend. And he used the illustration of breaking down at 2.45 in the morning. Who do you call? You don't call your wife. You call your friend to come and get you. Um, uh, you call your friend to come and get you. Because you call your wife, she's going to say, didn't I tell you to get that car checked? How many times did I tell you? Didn't I tell you a hundred times? No, I'm not going to come to get you. I'm not getting out. You know how warm my bed is? No, no, call so-and-so. So I'm calling Doug. Anyway, um, it says she gave to her husband who was with her. He did eat. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now sin's in the picture. They're hiding and they're covering, which is exactly what sin does to us in our lives. It separated them from fellowship with God. They had to hide. They had to cover stuff up. And that's exactly the way sin works. I say this because John wants to, us to understand that's what will happen to us if we're not careful. If we get this idea that I can be spiritual and live in the world, we're missing it because what will happen is the world here is going to impact us and it's going to hurt that fellowship with God. And he identifies it. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So when you and I are making a decision, those are the kinds of questions we need to ask. What, what's my focus here? What is my focus in this decision? Which, which decision pleases God more versus which decision is more satisfying to my flesh. And so he lines out all of these things to, to help us. And then he goes on. Let's go back to the First John, guys. Um, Nick, take me back one or wherever it is. Yeah. Notice what he says. He said, um, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And then here's what he says. 
the world and its desires pass away. You see, that whole system, the way everything's geared, is flawed in and of itself. First of all, it's from Satan. Second of all, it's not going to last. And so John says, look, invest in something that will. And that system, and if you'll really think about it, it really, the world system really is messed up. Okay? We would say, who are the most, some of the most valuable people within our, within our society? We would say, uh, police officers and firemen and nurses and da-da-da-da-da. But, if you can act, we'll pay you sometimes 100 times what we pay them. Now, step back and take a look at the system as a whole. We say that we value that, but we really value this. It's a messed up system. It's a messed up system. And, and John says, look, be careful about getting sucked in to that system. Be careful about pursuing that system. Be careful about allowing that system to absorb you into your life. Because look, that stuff passes away. That stuff doesn't last. Invest in something that lasts beyond you. Um, I, I, I to, I'll apply it in a second, but this came up this week, and I, I wish he was here because I would like to have asked permission, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because it's the story, and I don't think Brian would have a problem with it. Um, but you've heard me say over and over and over and over again that you never know the impact you make on people. And I, it, it could not have been better illustrated for me this week. Um, I went up to see Brian and Andrea, and of course, you know, in their, I don't know, her drug-induced whatever, she handed me, they handed me this child, you know, and so I'm holding this baby, sitting on the couch holding this, holding this baby, and da 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 And one of the questions I always ask a family is, why the name? How'd you come up with the name? Okay, and the name was Sage, by the way. Okay, that's what they called it. I don't remember the middle name, um, but he has a middle name. Uh, and so they said Sage. So I always ask because if you know Brian and Andrea, they always come up with some pretty cool names. And in their world, the names are always colors. Okay? So like Brendel is the color of a horse or something like that. And, and so, anyway. so they had a bunch of names that they were going back and forth with and back and forth, and they couldn't decide. And Brian said, well, here's the deal. He said, a couple weeks ago we came into church. He said, and we were standing in church, and Sage, this Sage, walked in. And I thought, that's kind of a cool name. And so he said, we got out of church, and I looked at my wife, and I said, hey, what about the name Sage? It's a color, and, and we like Sage, you know. See, that was the issue with my wife and I. When we were trying to name our children, Every time we came up with a name, we knew a kid with that name who we didn't want our kid named that way, all right? So this is like a good thing, Sage, all right? Uh, so, and, and, and he said, and we thought about it, and we thought, you know, that's kind of a cool name, and we both agreed on Sage. Now, in passing, that seems like a really nonchalant kind of, that's just like a cool thing, especially if you're sage. It's like, hey, that's cool. And then it ought to scare the fire out of you. Because, 
you know, there's something to be said for the idea of I, you know, my name gave you that idea. But but here's here's my point. All he did that Sunday was walk in a building. And there's a child on this planet who will forever be tagged because he decided to come to church on Sunday. You never know. You never know the difference or the impact or how God can use some simple, average, nonchalant, everyday kind of act in the life of somebody. Don't minimize it. Don't minimize the idea that God can't use you. And don't minimize the fact that you don't know when or how God will use you. So you keep plugging away at it. And you invest in things that are far beyond you. You invest in things that last. You know, part of not loving the world is, is, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with nice stuff. You know me. I have nice stuff. I like nice stuff. But if it came down to giving up my nice stuff, it's okay. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. You know, one of the best lessons I had from this, I know years ago, um, I needed to borrow an, uh, one of those air or those uh, roofing nailers from a guy, and he had just bought a brand new one. And so, um, and so, you know, I, I, he was going to let me borrow his, and I said, you know, he's, he had two of them there. He had a new one and his old one. And I go, you know, I said, I'm just, I, I don't want to use your new one because it's going to get scuffed up, and I, I don't want to scuff it all up. And we were actually, I was actually on my roof at the time, and he was up there on the scaffolding with me. And he goes, that's what you're worried about? I said, yeah. I said, I don't, I don't want to do that. Just let me use the old one. He took the brand new one. We're on the roof. And he scraped it up on the shingles. And he goes, here, now you feel better? He said, it's a roofing nailer. It's going to get scratched up. I really don't care. It's not that big a deal. But the issue was, it's a little thing, but the issue was, you know what he's reminding me of? This is temporary. It's no big deal. Scratch is a scratch. It's going to get scratched up. That's why I bought it. That's what it's used for. I got a good deal. Here, use the new one so you don't have to worry about the old one not working. I thought, you know, I, that's the attitude of me. I'm not saying you don't take care of stuff, but I'm saying when we value stuff or we give it a, a, an eternal kind of value, the world and its stuff passes away. People, on the other hand, People last forever. Um, James Elliott, missionary um, to the Aka Indians who eventually killed him, said, he is a fool who keeps... Uh, okay, I got to get this right. He is a fool who, who keeps... All right, hang on. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who who gives what he cannot keep, his life, to gain what he cannot lose. And he eventually died at their hands, by the way. But his whole attitude was, you know what? Can't keep my life. But the investment that I can make here, even if it means my life, can have eternal consequences. And I'm not saying you need to go like get sacrificed by headhunters or anything like that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying sometimes, if we're not careful, we value the wrong things. And we wonder why we're not growing as Christians. 
Because instead of valuing the things that God values, we kind of got sucked into getting enamored by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. We put a value on those things that aren't going to last. And John says, look, don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Don't love the system of this world. Don't love the things in this world. Love the people of this world. They're the kinds of things, they're the, kind, they're the things that Jesus Christ gave his life for. So two applications. One is, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that what the, that's what this whole book is about so that you can know you have that. So that you can know that your faith and trust is in Christ and nothing else. And, and it's simple, you know. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize God came and paid for my sin. I ask his forgiveness, and I ask him to be my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. Not about church membership, baptism, pieces of paper, money, all that kind of, all the stuff that everybody complicates with. It's about a simple relationship with Jesus Christ. Once I have that relationship, I'm born into the family of God, just like we talked about last week. So if you haven't done that, you need to do that. If you have done that, then it's about fellowship with the Father, and that's really simple. Spend time with Dad. Learn everything you can from Dad. If I genuinely believe that Jesus is my Heavenly Father, as He is, then you know what? I want to learn everything I can from Dad. I want Dad to teach me everything Dad can teach me. I want to learn what, what, what makes Dad happy, what pleases Dad. That's what I want to go do. What brings displeasure to Dad? I want to stay away from those things. And at some point when I do that long enough, here's what happens. Dad's going to look at me, and he'll say, you know what? You got a little brother over there who just became a Christian. He needs a dad. I need you to go start working with him. And before you know it, you're a dad to a young Christian. And then before you know it, that young Christian eventually grows up and becomes a dad. And then he becomes a dad to another young Christian, and now you're a grandfather and a dad. That's the whole thing we talked about last week. Infant, children, young men, fathers. And that's the goal God has for all of us. That we spend enough time with dad that eventually we become a dad and we help others. And that's maturity. But if we get sidetracked with the things of the world, that hinders that whole process. John says, man, you, you don't go down there. That's not how you're going to grow. That's going to get you sidetracked, so don't do it. All right? So this week, allow God to use you. Never minimize what you're doing or how God can use it in somebody's life. You go, well, it's just a simple thing. It's no big thing. I mean, I just walked into church. Ten years from that, tell that to Sage Fleck. You know, <laughs> and for you, guess what? <laughs> it's a huge responsibility, you know? Can you imagine that kid? Can you imagine them looking going, you know how we got your name? See that kid right there? Wow. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't name him James. Um, you know, <laughs> but uh, seriously, seriously, I mean, we joke about it, but seriously, just like when another, when God wants me to father another Christian, God wants me to help them be, then, then I, then I got to be careful. I got to watch what I'm doing and I got to 
Got to make myself accountable in all of that. Why? Because that's the way the Christian family functions. So let God use you this week. Don't be afraid to step out, whether it's just something normal or whether it's something big that God's asking you. So my prayer, my challenge this week is this. John challenges to examine our real love. We can't love the world and claim to love God. They are mutually exclusive. So invest your life and legacy in things that have an eternal value. And be careful about spending a lot of time, energy, and effort on things that are going to pass away. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Guide us. Direct us. God, we all have an awesome responsibility to set an example for those that are behind us and follow. So Lord, help us to live in such a way that, uh, Lord, we reflect that. And Lord, for those who may not have a relationship with you, may they settle that. For those that do, Lord, may we walk in fellowship this week. May you help us to be careful of loving the things in this world. The Lord is the flesh and the eyes and pride of life, and those things kind of come our way this week. May we be able to stand against them. May we be able to refocus on the things that are important. May we be able to love with our whole heart you and honor you with the decisions and the choices and the directions we make. And uh, we'll give you the honor and glory and praise since we ask in your name. Amen.